Hi, friends. It's Mercedes from The Noshery. And Rebecca from Foodie with Family. And welcome to another episode of My Plate is Always Full, where we're always hungry to talk about food. Yes. And first, though, we have to apologize for the lack of an episode last week. We had some technical <laughs> difficulties involving Mercedes, a broiler, some seriously burnt bagels, and a new toaster. I and, did go uh, out and get the new toaster. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of funny considering how we got into it over toasters and whether or not they were crucial in the top 10-ish kitchen gadgets episode. So um, if you want to know what we're talking about, just go back and listen to that one. I uh, lived maybe about a day without my toaster, and then I tried to use the broiler, and it I failed miserably. Oh, miserably. she sure did. She sure did. <laughs> I, I set off. I may have set off a smoke alarm. <laughs> <laughs> but today, today we're talking sauce. Yes. So we're going to get a little saucy today. Yes, we are. We touched on sauces before and we, when we did our recipe development episode and we talked about all the mother sauces mm -hmm. and what's different about them. But for this episode, we're going to take a deep dive. A deep into dive into a, into a sauce dish, maybe. Um. I mean, how how deep is a sauce? Okay, how about a deep dive into a gravy boat? How's that sound? I mean, I guess it is another <laughs> sauce. It is. It is. <laughs> hey, can you end up, I mean, aren't you likely to just break it if you're just going to go head first into, I mean, theoretically, into I, a gravy boat? Theoretically, if you went head first into a gravy boat, that would be literally breaking a sauce. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, huh? so bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't help it. But in all seriousness, sauces can really make or break a dish. They can. And if you have a broken sauce, it's a thing of sorrow, right? I mean, it would, it makes me sad. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Be never fear, though, because today we're going to discuss what makes a sauce a sauce, what the mother sauces are. We'll just refresh ourselves on that, how to make a sauce and how to save a sauce if you do break it. In addition to that, we're also going to be talking about what equipment you'll need to make a good sauce, how to get creative with saucing, and why sauce is so important. Like I said before, it'll make or break a dish and I'll fight anyone and get a little <laughs> saucy with them if they try and argue with me otherwise. I'm not going to argue. All right, let's get into this. Okay. So we're going to, I'm going to share a few opinions when it uh, comes to getting saucy. Okay. I'm shocked. Because <laughs> sauce is really the backbone of, of cooking, of any dish, be it you, like, regardless if you're in a fancy restaurant or if you're at home, it really yes. is one of the most important things and skills to hone. Yeah. I think what you're trying to say is that sauce completes you. I mean, it most definitely completes the dish. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But first, I want to talk briefly about the history and science of culinary sauces. Shocker. I know. <laughs> we're, we're surprising each other constantly today. I do love this because I always, 
I mean, I think I'm kind of smart, but I always learn something new when you give us our little history cooking lesson. Oh, you're totally smart. And I think <laughs> I think it's super fun to nerd out on the history of of cooking personally. But we we did we went over the origins of the mother sauces in detail on the recipe development episode. So I'm not yes, going to That was the whole guru, how was it that we said? Guru Guru Escoffier. Escoffier. Yeah. And how, wait, what was Creme? What was he called? Oh, oh my gosh. I don't know. We we'll have to go back and listen. We did. We did. <laughs> but um, so we're not going to go over that territory again much, <laughs> except to say Viva la France, right? And maybe Viva yeah. Guru Escoffier too. In other words, <laughs> see France for the origins of the mother sauces. <laughs> but we need to touch quickly on the existence of Roux. Because it's the thickening agent. And it's the base to, what is it like? Is it every mother sauce? Well, no, no it's not three Holland of them. Base. It's yeah, three, three of, of them. them. Yep. Yeah. So Rue, just to give people a quick rundown on what it is, it's a mixture of equal parts by weight of flour and fat. Um, so and that's you melt, any fat. Yeah, it is any, well, it's any edible fat. Let's be, well, let's be clear mean, there. <laughs> you wouldn't use, say, for instance, engine oil. However, um, it's it just it was the first thing I thought of. You know, I, oh, it makes total sense. Well, sure. I mean, I think it's because I'm sitting in my car recording this. But hey, uh, so flour is added to the melted fat or oil in a saucepan. It's blended until it's smooth, and then it's cooked to the desired level of brownness. Now, roux is usually described as either being white blonde or brown. The lighter the roux, the more thickening power it has. So in French... Is there like a science behind that? Um, oh, there's... Yeah, there there is a science to it. You're denaturing the protein when you cook it in the fat. That's what I, I was figuring. Yeah, the, the protein that exists in the flour, which is gluten, in case you have been, you know, <laughs> taking notes. If you're taking notes, I would like to encourage you not to. However... Um, if, if you do want to keep track of this, it is gluten that you're denaturing as you're cooking it in the fat. And the more you cook it, the less power it has to absorb liquid. So the absorption of the liquid is what helps thicken your sauce with a roux. Interesante. Yes. To recap, the lighter the roux, the more thickening power it has. And in French cuisine... Uh, let's see. I, I'm sure you know this one as a trained chef. What fat is most often used? I'm going to say the butter is yes. probably the most fat or yes. not the most fat, but the most <laughs> used fat. <laughs> fat like P-H-A-T? Yes. So in yeah. French cuisine, the fat that's most often used is butter because France loves us and they want us to be happy. And in other cuisines, it could be vegetable oil. It could be lard. Cajun cooking uses a lot of bacon fat which is also a pretty happy thing. But honestly, a roux can be made with just about any fat and all-purpose flour. So let's let's do a quick refresher on the mother sauces. I'll just name mother them. Mother sauces. Mother sauces. And then we'll, we'll move on from there. So a bechamel sauce is a white sauce. It's based on milk thickened with a white roux. So that would be the roux that has the most thickening power. Espanol sauce is a brown sauce based on a brown stock reduction, and it's thickened with brown roux. Typically, you would use roasted bones, bacon, tomato. Um, it's not usually used on its own, but it's usually used 
in conjunction with other things. It's also a fantastic base for gravy. I was about to say that's something. Well, even like it depending, like when you think about the bechamel uh, sauce, you think about like a white cream, like a white cream sauce that you will, you know, you use as a base to make cheese sauces. Yeah, exactly. So that's why these are the mother sauces, because all of these other sauces come from these particular techniques. Yeah, and, and the Espanol is great for a dark, you know, uh, your Thanksgiving gravy would probably come pretty close to qualifying as an Espanol, except for the fact that we're using it. I typically think of beef bones, not chicken right. or turkey bones, but it's kind of within, um, because of the coloring, I think it would fall. Or is that more right. of a velouté? Because velouté is used with poultry well, bones. Right. Well, velouté is clear sauce. So the, the big differentiation in my head between Espanol and velouté is Espanol uses roasted bones, whereas velouté uses unroasted bones. Yeah. So Which whether you it's... Get a clearer, you start with right. a, a clearer stock. Right. So you might have a veal velouté or a fish velouté or a chicken velouté, but it's going to start with a with a raw protein bone versus the Espanol, which is going to start with a roasted bone. So Espanol is kind of one of those traditional kitchen miracles that takes something that you've already cooked for another purpose and recycles the waste of it into something else to make something else taste delicious. It's so one of delicious. those. That's good stuff. So to recap, we have bechamel sauce, which is your white sauce based on milk thickened with roux. Espanol sauce, which is a brown sauce based on a brown stock reduction thickened with brown roux. We have velouté sauce, which is a clear sauce made with clear stock and unroasted bones and thickened with white roux. And we have now the two that are not thickened with roux, tomato sauce, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's not just (laughs) tomatoes, though. It typically includes carrots, onions, garlic, butter, pork belly, veal broth, and it may have a little flour in it, but it's not a roux. And then finally, we have one of my personal favorites, the king of sauces, hollandaise, which is a warm emulsion of egg yolk, melted butter, and lemon juice or vinegar. It is one of the most fabulous sauces in all the land. It really I mean, is. I love bechamel. I would say bechamel for me comes in second just because you can make like cheese sauces out of it. And it's oh, great, yeah, you, you can know, make everything for, out of it. But hollandaise for me, oh, my gosh, it just has a little little safe, little like precious area of my heart. <laughs> Part of your heart is made of hollandaise is what you're telling me. I, yes. I mean, it is one of the fussiest sauces for it sure. Is. And I remember being in culinary school and you're making hot. One of the things is like, I remember to pass like my sauce class. I had to make a solid hollandaise without breaking it, Uh you know, with enough acid in it, with the right consistency, without it becoming, you know, either paste or scrambled eggs. So it is kind of a fussy sauce. But when you get the hollandaise right, it is, it is glorious. It is. But I think we've all... Those of us who have cooked for a living have had that depressing moment when you've coddled hollandaise in a double boiler and then or a bain-marie and you look and you see this oil slick forming around the edge and you know, you know what's about to happen, right? You're about to have to work harder. Uh, I'm going to cry. Yeah, that's for sure. 
So I think this is a good moment for us to talk about how to save some sauces. What happens when you break a sauce is that you are you have cooked it to a point where the the fat separates from the binder, which in this case is the flour in the stock. You'll, right. you'll see it happen before your eyes. And then, and then you cry. <laughs> it's so depressing. <laughs> and then you panic and you start to sweat and you're like, I have to have this out in the next like five to 10 minutes. How do I fix it? And we're going to yes. tell you how to do that. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's tell them how to fix the hollandaise, Miss Sadie. <laughs> so the best in quickest way is to cool it down. And you can cool this down. You know, there's different techniques depending on how much sauce you have. You can either just add a little bit of cold, like I like to have on hand, be it the stock or the cream or whatever, if it's to have it like cold. Do you know what I mean? To add it in to kind of cool down the temperature. If you are dealing with a larger quantity, I fill up a big bowl with ice water and stick the the pot or the bowl or whatever it is that I'm using into the, the ice water and start whisking it until, of course, you have to be very careful not to introduce water, um, but start whisking it until you'll see it start to come back together. And it's a small yes. window of opportunity. Like as soon as you start to see any kind of separation, you immediately want to get on that and rectify it. I right. mean, there's really nothing wrong with having some of that cold liquid on hand, be it stock or cold cream or whatever, or an ice water bath sitting by just in case you happen to break the sauce. When we say break, you will see where it it starts to get an oil slick on the sauce. Yes, and it can get to the point where it looks like scrambled eggs in oil. Depending on which one it is that you're working on, or it either looks like curdled or it looks like scrambled eggs, depending on what binder you're using. And um, it's it's really stressful. <laughs> it is really stressful. And if you miss that window of opportunity you were talking about, there are some instructions, and we will put these in the show notes, that uh, the great Jacques Pepin shared. And that is to separate the mixture completely. You know, if, if you've gone to the point where you see standing oil and a separate um, solid, or, you know, you can tell your eggs have separated from the oil, let's say, theoretically, uh-huh. in hollandaise, you let it go. You you make it separate completely by stirring over the it. heat. And then you're going to tilt, yeah, give into it, lean into it, tilt the pan and let it rest for five minutes so that the oil rises to the top. And you're going to remove it, but not discard it. Hold that to the side. And you're going to start with two teaspoons of warm water in a bowl and add one tablespoon of the thick sauce that settled to the bottom, whisking it in, and then adding another tablespoon and whisking until smooth after each addition. And now you're going to start adding that oily part back in, beating it in like you were making the sauce at the beginning. And then at the end, you may want to strain your sauce through a strainer just to make sure you catch anything that might have scrambled. Unpleasant lumps that want to hang around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've seen some unpleasant lumps hanging around. Yeah, it's 
strain them out, get rid of them. You don't need those in your life, people. You don't want unpleasant lumps around. So I think another thing that's important, because we're talking about saving sauces, I'm willing to bet that most of us have gone a little bit overboard adding salt to sauces and from time to time. And sometimes it's not necessarily about adding salt, but maybe you're using a stock or something that you allowed to, redu- or you let the sauce reduce and it reduces too much. As, yes. So what happens is that maybe at the beginning you salt it a little bit and you're like, oh, this tastes good. But as the sauce begins to reduce, you have less liquid, which means you have more concentration of salt. And then when you go and taste it again right. later, it tastes like salt. And and you're like, yeah. It's a salt lick at that point. You're like, well, I didn't add any more. Well, it's not that you added more. It's that you reduced more. Right. So you reduced liquid out, which concentrated the salt that was already in there. So, Mercedes, if you did this um, and you ended up with a sauce that was too salty, what would be your first piece of advice? I mean, my first piece of advice would be to just add more product. Um, You might end up with more sauce than you initially planned for, but there's really nothing wrong with that. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's why... That's why God invented straws. Are you kidding me? Make it a little saucier. So So usually, like I said before, the culprit will usually be an overreduction, which also will tend to create a sauce that maybe is a little bit thicker than you would want it to be anyway. So a good way to resolve that is to start by adding more liquid to kind of dilute it a little bit, whatever liquid it is that you're using. And I'd I'd like to emphasize that you said whatever liquid you're using, please don't reach for water because that's just going to dilute the flavor of your stuff. I'd say go for cream, unsalted broth, unsalted stock, wine, beer, something that you've been building your sauce with that does not have salt in it that you can add to it to kind of lower the salt content without reducing the oomph of the sauce. Yes, right, absolutely. Whenever I'm making some kind of sauce, I reach for either whatever stock I'm using or cream I'm using. Um, If I need to, if it's gotten too rich and you need to cut into it a little bit, you can add a little bit of wine, like an acid will kind of cut into that richness and balance it out. And that's a great, you know, way to, to thin out your sauce without losing flavor. Okay, now speaking of acidic, because now, you know, we've talked about how to save a broken hollandaise, how to save something that's too salty. What if you've added too much lemon juice or vinegar? What do you do then? What do I do? What do you do? <laughs> oh, I have oh. a trick for this. <laughs> I'm like I'm trying okay, to think. So- I always just I'm always like just kind of messing with it until I get what I want. Right, you kind of tinker with it, but if you let's say let's say you're close to being done with something and you've added just a little bit too much lemon juice. And so now it tastes like lemonade sauce, which is not what you were going for. You show some restraint, but pinch of baking soda. So baking soda is a base. It reacts with the acid and neutralizes it. So you don't want to go hog wild with that because baking soda sauce (laughs) would not be a nice thing to put on any main dish. It would be really astringent. It would be nasty. But just add a little pinch, stir it in really well, taste, add another pinch if you need to, stir it in really well, but show patience. A sauce is not built instantly. It needs to have a little love and a little attention. And if you just go really carefully with it, you should be able to adjust it. making a sauce, like, I mean, of course you follow a recipe, but making a sauce is really an art. You can't. It sure um, is. I can't. You know, I'll make. I'll write recipes and tell people 
how to make X sauce. But I even within my own recipe, it's more likely than not that I have every time I make it, I have tweaked it a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Well, sure. Yeah, you you taste it as you go. You adjust things for what your preference is for that day. You adjust things according to what you're serving it with or who you're serving. Um, for instance, if Miss Sadie was coming over to my house, I would lay off on the spicy stuff <laughs> and the black pepper because I know she doesn't love these two this things. Is correct. Um, if my father-in-law was there, I would jack up both of those because he <laughs> loves them. Knowing your audience, you adjust the sauce recipe to suit who you're serving. Isn't there also another trick I've heard before? I don't think it has to do with the, not with the acid, but when you're dealing with uh, over salting, uh, adding a raw potato yes. or something like that. Yes. So if you peel a small potato and cut it in half and add it to a stock that you've salted or a sauce that you've salted, something that's going to be a more liquid sauce, probably not a cream-based one. Uh, You toss the potato in there and just simmer it for a few minutes. Potatoes are starch and starch absorbs salt. So you'll be able to reduce the saltiness of something just by simmering a potato in there for a while too, if you've got a little bit of time. I've never tried neither one. I've like either one of these. I've used baking soda to make polenta faster but i've never used it um like to balance out which it makes total sense um i just never went about using it i think i think we need to have we need to have a as unexciting as this sounds i think we need to have a baking soda episode because baking soda is a miracle worker in the kitchen if it's used correctly i would learn a lot from this because i honestly except for throwing it into baking once in a while and using it to clean my sink. <laughs> I don't well and then there's and then so the much polenta you can do with too, a little box of baking soda to, to make right you know, instead if I don't have the instant you know polenta which I tend not to buy I prefer like the coarse um, right stone ground polenta um, if you add like a teaspoon to it it cooks it like 15 minutes like it takes you know yeah, grits, oh, yeah. anything like that. It really cuts the time. Okay, so stay tuned, folks. Baking soda episode coming <laughs> up so soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. There's going to be so much science. It'll be great. Okay, so, but back yes. to sauces, because that's, that's so today's we've gotten, topic. We talked about, we quickly went through the mother sauces and how to solve any problems in the kitchen. Now let's talk a little bit about what equipment we need. And we're not talking about like, this isn't complicated. Like you don't need a machine or bread maker (laughs) or whatever. We're not going to give you some kind of weird tip like that. Like this is really basic tools that you have in your kitchen that are going to be dependable, that will help you accomplish a kick butt sauce. Oh, you you edited that so nicely. (laughs) I like (laughs) <laughs> a kick a honey sauce <laughs> so what do we need to make a really good sauce and of course you need to corral and contain the sauce in some type of vessel correct right you can't just prepare it on a cutting board it needs you, you need to be in, in a contained, some kind space. Of contained space so you need a pot of course 
or a you know um a, you know you can also do sauces in a in a skillet depending on what your quantities yes. are if you're doing like a quick pan sauce but what you need is something that conducts your heat dependably 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 is that a word <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to sit here and listen to you try for a little while longer. It's really fun. Let's say it is and evenly <laughs> um, without like causing any kind of scorching or anything like that. So a heavy bottom pot with sloped sides is which is a saucepan essentially is your best bet. Yes. And, and actually, fun fact, a saucepan is called a saucier which is also the name for the chef who makes sauce. So we could make our own tongue twister here. So oh my gosh. we could what do you, something what like saucier's sauce, saucier's with sauce, saciely. <laughs> I just made a tongue twister out of saucier's You're very proud of yourself too, aren't you? <laughs> I'm ridiculously proud. I'm gloating right now. I, I, I know y'all can't see me, but I look very smug <laughs> because I am very smug right now. And I'm patting You're myself so on the shoulder. Well, and let me just say, side note in regards to the pan, saucepan, don't use a nonstick pan. <laughs> yes. No. Okay. Because if if any of that Teflon flakes up and you whisk that into your sauce, you, your sauce is two, done. There's two pans that you do not want. You do not want a nonstick pan, even though it may be tempting. Correct. Um, Because of what Rebecca said. It can flake into your sauce. Also, you're going to be whisking it. So you're more likely than not going to ruin the pan and cause it to flake, right. which we don't want. The other thing you do not want to do is use an aluminum pan. Because Correct. Uh, what happens is, is that when you are making your sauce and you're whisking, aluminum is soft. So you are going to start scraping and you'll notice that it'll start to get like a weird color. It'll get an odd flavor, um, especially if your sauce has any acid in it, it will react and it will right. ruin your sauce and it'll, you will be, it will be a sad, sad day. <laughs> if you all read a lot of recipes online in cookbooks, you'll often see a recipe specified to use a non-reactive pan. That, that is exactly what they're talking about. Don't use aluminum because... It can react to the acids and then you'll get those weird metallic flavors and um, maybe even, you know, start getting some aluminum in your food, which you don't really yeah, want to so your best do. bet is a stainless steel heavy bottom saucepan or even a cast iron. I would recommend a cast iron if you're doing a dark sauce and you're going for a dark roux. Yes. Because it's a little bit more forgiving and you want to get that, that dark color and cast iron heats up so much that you're better off doing that. Otherwise, I would just stick with a stainless steel heavy bottom pot. Right. And the other the other thing about cast iron is it holds on to the heat longer. So you're not going to be able to reduce the heat as quickly as you would with a stainless steel one if you're doing a blonde roux or a white roux or a really delicate light colored yeah. sauce. So it's not, it doesn't have to be fancy. It's just take a little bit of thought about what you're going to prepare your sauce in. And then of course, the other thing you need is a whisk. I mean, heck yes. <laughs> now, I, depending on what sauce I am making, will depend on what whisk I want. Typically, 
you know, you can make all of these sauces with a classic balloon whisk. Yes. Otherwise, I also like to use flat whisks, especially if I'm making a quick pan sauce where I'm using any kind of fat or drippings from something that I've already cooked in the skillet. If I'm doing like a hollandaise where you need more elbow grease and emulsification, I prefer a balloon whisk. Yes. But if I'm making like a quick gravy or something like that, um, I prefer a flat whisk because you can also scrape up all that tasty bits at the bottom of the pan. Right. Now, I would say for me, part of the decision making process depends on what I'm preparing my sauce in. So if I'm making my sauce in a skillet or saute pan, you know, doing what you just described, I would use a flat whisk. If I'm using a saucier or a deeper pot, I'm probably going to go for a balloon whisk. And also, or if it like when you make a hollandaise, a lot of times you're doing some kind of double boiler situation, yeah. maybe like a bowl over. And that's where I prefer the balloon whisk also. Yeah. Plus, you can just really you can get I feel like you get more. <laughs> I feel like you, you get, get more, more whip. I was going to say, I, I feel like you get more action from a balloon whisk. <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> hey, balloon whisk. <laughs> anyway, um, but. The third item that you always need to have when you're making sauce, a sturdy heat-proof spoon. You got a spoon. Oh, actually, well, I mean, that is a, yeah, yes, correct. Yes. It was like, I have a saucing spoon. Yes, I also have one. Do you have a saucing spoon? I do. Are you kidding? (laughs) Do you know me? Yes, I have a saucing spoon. But I, when I'm... So when I say a saucing spoon, yeah, you can grab any spoon and like pour out your sauce or whatever, but... A saucing spoon is, just think of like a serving spoon. Like it's bigger than your regular flatware spoon. Yes. And um, it has more of a teardrop shape. So you'll have like almost like a little bit of a, a, a good saucing spoon I find has like a little bit of a point at the at the tip of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can direct the sauce. And a nice sauce. long handle. I think I got my saucing spoon at like some thrift shop, you know, utensil bin or something like that and i was like oh this is a thing of beauty (laughs) (laughs) and i'm always my husband knows this is my specific spoon that i use to sauce dishes yeah he's like okay (laughs) i will not touch said specific spoon now yes i do have a saucing spoon but what i meant specifically was a spoon that you can kind of reach in and make sure you're cleaning the bottom of your pan with. So for me, that would be a bamboo or a wooden spoon with a flat edge so that I can scrape the bottom of the pan evenly. If you're doing the job right with a whisk, you shouldn't have to do that. But sometimes if you're putting a lot of time and effort into that sauce, you just want to be doubly sure. And that's why I like to have that spoon handy. Interesting. I always reach for a spatula instead of a spoon. Uh, yeah, like a, a heat-proof silicone spatula? Yeah, like a heat-proof silicone spatula with a flat edge on it that has a little bit of that like bowl in it. Yes. Not, not the flat, you know which one I'm I know about? exactly like the, what you mean. The spat spoon? Spoonula? <laughs> I don't know what, I don't know what the technical I'm just making that up right it. now. I have no idea if that's the technical commercial term for it, but I kind of like it. Yeah, but that's usually what I reach for. But honestly, either one works. We all have like that favorite cooking utensil that kind of scrapes our particular pots and pans. Yeah, you've worn it down over the years to where it's perfect for the job, you know. And then another great tool to have, and I've said this a multitude of times, is an instant read thermometer. Oh, preach, Mercedes. So 
if by now, if you've been listening to us and you do not have one yet, we need to have a conversation. Yeah, we're we're going to have an intervention is what we're going to have. We're going to walk you to the Get store. Get yourself an instant read Exactly, please. It's it. not expensive and it makes such a huge difference in your kitchen. This will kind of help you, you know, gauge what temperature your sauce is at and if you're on the verge of breaking or boiling your sauce. Amen. Which will save you yeah. many tears. What's a good temperature? Like, like, what temperature would you say like a sauce typically breaks at? Okay, so... Anytime you push the heat too far in a delicate sauce, um, when you're getting too close to a simmering or a boiling point, and boiling is 212 degrees Fahrenheit, simmering's more like 190, I try to avoid that with as much care as I can. So I don't much like to push it past 160, 170 degrees Fahrenheit. I never really thought about that. I'm always just kind of eyeballing it a little bit. I mean, I do, I have tempt it, of course. I usually tempt it to make sure that it's safe Right, service. right, which is, I believe, 145, right? You hold it at 145? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I kind of hold it about 145. That's when I would tempt it just to make sure it was like safe for service. So I never really thought about... You know, miraculously, that, <laughs> that safe holding temper temperature, you know, serve safe certified holding temperature of 140. Well, also not break your is, sauce. Exactly. It's wonderful how that works. I mean, maybe that's how they chose it. Yes. So a good, so let's talk about like some traits of what a good oh, yes, sauce please. is. So a good sauce, we want it to be well-balanced in flavor, but also yes. in texture because something can taste good, but if it has grittiness to it or lumpiness, it's not pleasant to Correct. eat. It, it will, you'd be like, oh, this tastes good, but it feels weird in my mouth. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and I would, I would add to that that sauces can't be one-dimensional in flavor either. You have to kind of build it as you're building your dish, correct? Correct. So, you know, initially it'll taste really fatty. And then if you want to cut into that fat, you add a little bit of acid. Maybe you want to add some aromatics in there, some herbs. You just kind of, you know, you want to be playing around with it. So a lot of times, you know, I mean, we're big fans here of pork chops. Oh, yeah. And I love a really good browned, crispy edge pork chop. You know how like when the fat gets kind of, kind of, crisp you're killing edges. me oh my gosh, I'm so really hungry now but see from that I can use it to build but once I finish you got your you've you've cooked your pork chops right yeah you set them aside you are allowing them to rest you're allowing them to rest because you don't want them to juice out yes so while they are resting you can quickly make a pan sauce you take the fat you take your flat uh skillet or not your flat skillet your flat whisk kind of scrape it up and deglaze the pan with a little bit of your choice of liquid i usually like to start with wine because it adds acid to the dish and you it it takes a little bit more time to cook out alcohols so that's why it's one of those first things that i like to add in and then from there i start to build i'll add a little bit of flour i'll add some butter, um, maybe some stock, aromatics, you know, that sort of thing until I I get those flavors. And then one of the, the keys to getting really good flavor out of a pan sauce is to scrape up all those caramelized brown bits. Oh, that's the best meat. part. <laughs> um, 
there is a difference though between brown and burnt. There is. And you can smell the difference. You know what I mean? And it can be can deeply caramelized. It. it can still be deeply caramelized and not, and not burnt. burnt. Yes. You have to, you'll get a gauge for it. You know, especially if you're a brand new cook, you'll think, oh my gosh, I just burnt this. No, I mean, it's very possible unless you're starting to see some smoke and smell some burn. Right. You probably just got a really great caramelization. Yeah. And trust and your you nose. All you need to do is deglaze the pan. Trust yes. your nose. That, that is when I teach cooking classes, one of the biggest points I try to make is to trust your nose almost more than any other sense in the kitchen. If it smells good, it's going to taste good. If it smells bad, you might want to try to fix it. <laughs> I always say that when it, like a lot of times people will be like, well, how long are you cooking it for? Or when is it done? Yeah. And a lot of times I say, when you smell it. Yeah. When you start to smell something at that point is when you want to start to check it. Yes. You know what I mean? And you don't now if you're smelling burnt, you just you you're up a creek. Game you over. I mean, you yeah. let it go. <laughs> Game over. You let it go too long. But when you start to get like a really pleasant you know, smell of aromatics or, you know, herbs or whatever, you are at a good point there. And you, you're you you're doing a real good job. And then another thing is, is that if you notice that your pan sauce is a little runny, um, be patient and just let it simmer. The simmering will evaporate the liquid. And then, but you want to continue to taste it because you don't want to over reduce it and then end up with an oversalted sauce. So it's, you know, it's like a dance. It really is. If you also think about it, the reason, I mean, these are literally mother sauces because these sauces are also bases to a lot of soups too. That's true. So, so it's like soups are their babies. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not, <laughs> I mean, it's like they're, you know, they're all from the same family trees. So when you start, like, if you think about, you know, your tomato sauce, it's your base for a tomato soup. If you're thinking about a bechamel sauce, it's your base for a cream of mushroom or cream of broccoli or something like that. Or even like a clam chowder kind of soup. Exactly. Like they, they all, this sauce, you start from there and then you make more sauce and delight, delight it, delight it, <laughs> dilute it, not dilute it. That's not the right word. But you, you thin it out with more stock and, you know, you dance around with it. And then it's, it's an, it's just a whole pot full of sauce, essentially. So soup. <laughs> I think it would be fair to say that if you master sauces, you've mastered cooking. Oh, for sure. Because it's just a base to so many things. Exactly. So I think, you know, we figured out, we got our puns and things out of your system. Yes? Well, all that we really have time for today, I think I got out of my system, but I could go indefinitely. Well, in that case, I say we should wrap it up before we fall into a pun hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's not a pun, but I'll allow it.
Good effort. Actually, that sounds really weird. Let's Let's, let's just wrap this one up, shall we? I just want to say thanks to everyone for hanging out with us today. And thank you also for your patience for us not having an episode out last week with all the technical difficulties, me almost lighting my house on fire. Just, you know, it was just an interesting, it was an interesting week. It was an average Monday. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments on this episode, shoot us an email to myplateisalwaysfull at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook. Um, You can find this podcast on all major podcasting apps, and you can find me, Mercedes, at thenoshery.com. And you can find me, Rebecca, at foodiewithfamily.com. And you can find all show notes, and uh, you can also listen to this episode on our website at myplateisalwaysfull.com. So make sure you like and share, download, tell everyone how awesome we are, eat, you know, puns aside. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, it's because of the puns. Okay, yeah. Well, we'll just keep keep telling yourself it's, it's, it's the puns. I'm crushed. <laughs> Join us next week on Wednesday for another episode of My Plate is Always Full. And until next time, stay hungry, friends. So where Espanol is not thickened with a roux, velouté is. And um, velouté, for the record, is French for velvety. So it should be smooth and velvety in terms of mouthfeel. That's, you thicken, you thicken with a roux on the Espanol. You said it wasn't. Oh, right. Sorry. It's a Can dark. we go back on that? I was like, yes. Just recap everything again. Next I was that. like, wait a minute. You use okay. a dark roux on a <laughs> Yeah, forget that. I know. It's dark roux. What am, what, oh, it's tomato sauce that I'm getting it confused yeah, with. Yeah. I was like, <coughs> what? Right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Dude, my pits are really sweaty. So. <laughs> you better put that one in the. You better put that one in the overflow again, because that's pretty funny. You and your pits. I, don't know, I just get like anxious like, every time we record, or it's the space heater. <laughs> you sniff your pits. <sighs> well, maybe if you didn't sit on the space Call heater. Me Mary never mind. Anyway, um, jeez, I know. I I was just visualizing the fingers in the armpits and you sniffing them. But make sure you tune with. But my talk today. Oh, shoot. Make sure you tune in with us again next week on Wednesday. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, dude? (laughs) Join us next week for another helping of My Plate is Always Full. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcasting platform, leave a review, and share it with your friends to spread the love. You can also find links to today's recipes on our website, myplateisalwaysfull.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions or episode requests, email us at myplateisalwaysfull at gmail.com.